0: I wonder if you've been thinking about this uh, a little bit since last we met, that hope is a learned emotional skill. Hope is a learned emotional skill. Some folks are just naturally a little more peppy, a little more optimistic, a little more forward-looking than others. But that doesn't mean that if your personality has never been one that could see the the bright side of things automatically, that your cup was pretty much nearly always half full, that you're stuck with that lot in life. In fact, it seems as if from the scriptures that Jesus, when he walked this earth, was intent upon proving to his men and women, the ones who walked with him, that they could trust the Lord. They could trust in Him for the impossible. They could, they could dare to dream because He has the ability to not only plant a a wish or a desire in a heart, but He has the ability to to bring it to fruition, to, to cause it to happen. Hope is a learned emotional skill. And I want to Go a little deeper with that this morning, a little further with it. Last week we talked about, in this matter of learning how to hope, um, learning to recognize his presence. And we were with the disciples in the boat when the storm broke loose and Jesus was sound asleep in the back of the boat. And um, you know, the, the, everything that the devil tried to throw at the disciples and at Jesus, uh, it, it was not enough to even bother Jesus enough to, to wake up from his sleep. He, 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 was, he was not shaken. He was, he was not distressed. In fact, the disciples came, as you'll remember, and woke him up and said, Lord, don't you, don't you care that we're perishing? To which the Lord rebuked the, uh, the condition, calmed the sea, and the wind quit. And then he turned and looked at his men and said, You have no faith. You have no hope. In other words, as long as I'm with you, we're not going down. As long as, as, long as I'm where you are, the devil is not going to win. And he was intent upon teaching them how to hope because of his presence with them in the middle of the storm. And today, I just have felt impressed coming into this Sunday. Uh, rather than sticking with what was uh, seemed to be in the beginning kind of the outline that I would follow. I just really believe that there's, there's a reason to insert this piece this morning. So uh, I hope you'll hear it um, with, with that as a little bit of a background that we learn how to hope when we learn to understand and accept his heart for us his heart for us. Hope is an emotion, as as we understand, and emotions can be very fragile. Um, They need to be strengthened sometimes by an outside source. Need to be strengthened by the one in whom you're hoping. Strengthened by the one in whom you're hoping to bring to fulfillment what it is that you're hoping for, to do what you're hoping for. We've we've said this before, and I I think it's it's worth repeating, that it's not so much important what you're hoping for as it is who you're hoping in. If the one you're hoping in is reliable, then your hope can be well-founded. Beyond that, if, if the one you're hoping in cares about you, you matter to him, then your hope can be well-founded. If, on the other hand, there's no real sense that there's a loyalty between you and the person that you're hoping in, then you have reason to to be concerned. But I want to suggest this morning that the generator, the primary emotional generator for well-founded hope is understanding and accepting the love that God has for you, regardless. This morning, where so where where did this start? Where, where did it all begin? Um, this matter of of a relationship between heaven and earth. Did it start with um, with with you deciding one day that you're just gonna you're gonna love God? You're gonna Look to God, you're gonna seek God, you're gonna try to believe God. Or did it, on the other hand, start with Him? If you ask the Bible, if you ask the scripture, where did it all start? The scripture is amazingly clear. And Jesus put it this way John chapter 3, verse 16. For God, what did He do? So Loved what? The world. That he gave his only begotten son as an expression of that love which he had for the world, so that whoever would believe in Jesus would not have to perish, but would have everlasting life. It started with heaven loving the world, not with some people in the world deciding to love God. That, that is, um, I hope we'll see, amazingly important in this matter of hope, that it started with God. Jesus said, for God so loved, and the word for love there is not just an emotional buzz, not just a, a fascination with or an interest in, uh, an infatuation with, It's the word in the Greek language that means absolutely the highest form of two things, affection for and commitment to. An affection for the world, a a, a, a desire for the world, an interest in the world, yes, but also a commitment to do whatever was necessary, whatever it would take, To benefit the world. To, in this sense, rescue the world. For God so loved the world. Now, now what kind of world was it that Jesus was saying that God loved? A lot of hope in this. It was not a a church-going world. It wasn't just the religious world. It wasn't just the the non-profane world. It was the world... As the world existed, filled up with people who didn't believe in God, who would curse God, who would be cruel, who would be all manner of unkind, who would be eaten up with selfishness, as well as others who might not be all the way off the cliff, but as the scripture would say, there's none righteous, no, not one. Jesus was saying, God so loved the world in its lostness. God so loved the world as it existed in that day, as it would exist in this day, and as it would exist in the future. The world is the world. God so loved the world. He did not say, man, somebody down here, women down here, some people, loved God, and as a result of that, God sent His Son to die on the cross. Jesus Christ came to die For a world that didn't believe, that didn't want him, that was consumed with themselves, was involved in wars and factions and strife, it was that world that God loved. Now, the good news about that is that you and I are right in the middle of that world that God loved. Right, guys? Yeah, you guys going to sit down? Okay, good. Thank you. Found your spot. The the Lord, when he said that, when when he made that statement, he was trying to make it very, very clear. You didn't start the relationship. Man didn't start the relationship. God started the relationship. Did he start it out of an angler? Did he start it out of, I've had enough with the human race? He started it with a heart of love for mankind. He started it with a heart for you. Paul will say in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and we were all going our own way and following the course of this world, who Satan is in charge of the course of this world. But God, in the richness of his mercy, loved us, And he began to do a work quickening us that would turn our hearts with a desire to want to seek him and want to express some interest in him. But it wasn't that it started with us. You didn't find the Lord. Did you know that? How are you going to find somebody you can't see? How are you going to know which direction to talk when you can't even see the one you're talking to? And how are you going to make someone talk who doesn't have to say a word? God doesn't have to speak. He doesn't have to speak to you. He doesn't have to hear. He doesn't even have to be heard. So it stands to reason then that if there was going to be anything to happen between heaven and earth, it was going to have to happen coming from heaven to earth. You didn't find the Lord, he found you. Now, when did he find you? Cleaned up, smelling right, sitting in church on Sunday morning, or did he find you as a part of the world? Uh, Can somebody answer me there? He, he, He found me, he found us as we were. Now, why did he find you? Why did he find you? Because he loved you. Why did he love you? Why did he love me? I don't have the foggiest idea, do you? When he's holy and I'm sinful, when he's pure and I'm dirty, when he's infinite and I'm finite, when he's massive and I'm tiny, why would anybody in their right mind Want to come after you or want to come after me? It's hard to understand. It's beyond our ability. But this is is the thing, folks. This is a deal. Tying back to hope. If the one you're hoping in has a deep interest in you, then you can have a further sense that your hope is well-founded because they care about you. They care about you. One of our biggest struggles in this place of of hoping in God, of, of living a life of hope is that we can somehow have the conclusion that God doesn't care about me, that He's not interested in me, that I'm not sure how loyal He would be to me when push came to shove. So as the Lord teaches us how to hope, folks, listen, he will take us to his word. He'll take us to your Bible. And he'll take you to a passage like this. In John three sixteen. the words of Jesus. Jesus, God in a human form, God talking through Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave. Not that the world so loved God that we gave, it didn't start with us. Now, folks, if this drops 18 inches, if you'll let this in, that God loved you before you ever came to church. God loved you before you ever quit cussing. God loved you before you ever gave a dime to anything of a charitable nature. God loved you because he loved you, because he loved you, because he loved you. Now, does that mean that everything we do pleases him. Does that mean that 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 is the same as saying God's okay with all of my choices? That's not the same thing as saying that. But but to say that God has some issues with some of the choices that we're making, some of the things that we bring on ourselves because of our hard-headedness and because we just turn away from What he says is the way to live, to say that he has a problem with that is not the same thing as saying that those bad choices have the power to cut off the flow of his love toward us. Any more than a child who breaks a parent's heart, the choices that the child makes have the power to stop the mother from loving the son, stop the father from loving the daughter. You take that out to the scale of God and where where infinity is the dimension, and if it can't happen, has difficulty ever happening with an earthly mother and father, how could that be the case with God Almighty, our Heavenly Father, and us? So let me ask you this question right now, you, not, not somebody sitting next to you, not where you used to be before or anything. Here's the question. Do you know that God loves you? Do do you know, and and in the sense, I'm not talking theoretical. I'm not talking, well, the Bible says it, I believe that that settles it. No, it doesn't. Not in an emotional sense. If you don't feel it, It's as if it doesn't exist for you. It's a theory, but it has no connection. Hope, folks, listen, if hope is going to live and rule in your life, that hope will need to be tied to a felt knowing that God loves you. Now, here's the deal. When does he love me? Does he just love me when I'm in church? Does he just love me when I'm behaving? Does he just love me when I'm nice? Does he just love me when I tell the truth? Does he just love me when I'm measuring up to the standards that I think God would? As long as that is your attitude, as long as that is your conclusion, you will never, never consistently walk in hope. Because the hope has to be tied to. He cares about me. Warts and all. He cares about me. Good days, bad days. He cares about me. If you know he cares about you. If you know he loves you. Then it's easy. The next step is an easy thing to hope in him and to believe that even when things haven't turned out the way you would hope that they would, you still are believing and understanding that the one who has the ability in his time to turn everything the way he wants it to go, that he will in his time on my behalf do what is best for me and do what he wants to do in my life. Do you feel in your heart the love of God? this morning. Now, folks, again, I got to say it again. If having the sense that God loves you is tied directly to your behavior, you will never have a settled place in your heart that he loves you because it's conditional. Well, he loves me if I go to church. He loves me if I give my tithe. He loves me if I'm nice to people. He loves me if I pay pay my bills. He loves me if, he loves me if, he loves me if. Here's what Jesus says. God so loved the world as the world was. Unrepentant, still not confessed. They would crucify Christ, God come in the flesh. All of the things that the world hadn't done right, did not in a consummate sense turn God's heart for the world back from loving the world. You were in the world. You said, Pastor, why are you, why are you getting so worked up about it? I'm telling you, it's foundation. Right. If, if, if I do what I do for God out of a sense of ought to instead of a sense of want to, the duration of my following him will be drastically impeded because my ought to will wear out. My ought to will be, well, I've done, I messed up here and I messed up there and I I, I didn't do that one right. And, And the guilt and the condemnation, the shame can come in upon us and so we just shrivel up back into a corner and we just live our lives without God. But if I'm understanding. That he didn't start loving me when I went to church. He loved me before I ever knew how to say church. That he that he just started loving me when I cleaned my act up. When I quit doing this and started doing do that. As long as that's the position. Then it's always going to be an ought to. Well, I ought to do this, I ought to do this, but I'm probably not. I ought to do it, but I'm... Instead of a want to. But if it drops 18 inches. That I hadn't done anything. To force him to love me. I didn't do anything to bait him loving me. Because I didn't know anything to do. He loved me. Because he knew me. And he saw me. And he wanted me. And he loved me in my junk. He loved me in my, in my potential or my lack of potential. He loved me. Because he loves me, here's the deal. I can want to love him back. John will say we love because he first loved us. We don't have the ability to love him as the preemptive strike as the initial surge. we don't have the ability because we're dead in our trespasses and sins Ephesians 2 will say Paul was very clear we love him back because he first loved me right where you sit this morning no matter what you did last night or what your life has been marked by how long or how little how high how small that has been the content of your life that has done absolutely nothing to diminish the fact that He loves you thoroughly, deeply, and now, today, He loves you. You're in His breath. He loves me. He loves me. He'll say the wages of sin is death. Yes. And we, we bring, it's not, it's not that God does mean things to us. We do, we, we do things that bring tough consequences on ourselves. That's not God causing that. God is not causing the damage in the world, the, the harm in the world, the, 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 the heartache and grief in the world. The wages of sin is death. You choose sin and something's going to die. You choose sin, something contrary to what God says is right. Something is going to die. Maybe not immediately but sooner or later, something is gonna die. But when that is not our choice, when we are not choosing those things and we're choosing to respond to him as the one who has loved us, then the sense of hope rises up in my spirit and in my heart that God will bring about the good in my life in the timing that he sees fit That my hope is in him. My hope is in the one who has loved me. My choices brought tough consequences upon my life. There were things that we wouldn't do again. Those were things that I did or that other people did to me. Those were not things that God did. The fact that there's sin and evil in the world does not mean that there is not a God who loves. There is a Satan in the world. There is the fallen nature of men and women on planet earth. But none of those things are to negate the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Satan was operating. The flesh was operating in people. But Jesus is saying, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus himself. So that whoever would believe in him would not have to perish for the sins they committed, but they'd live forever. They'd live forever an eternal life. As he teaches us how to hope, he teaches us to understand and to accept his heart for us. It didn't start with you loving God. You didn't find God. God found you. How how could that be? scripture will say in Ephesians chapter 2 that he and his great love quickened us. He, he, he sent his spirit inside our hearts to awaken some things that were dormant, if not dead, in us before. Whereas for the longest time, there was no interest in the things of God gradually, but maybe it was a sudden thing. I began to ask questions. I began to remember songs. I began to remember a vacation Bible school. I, I remember somebody I worked with and, and things that used to be cold and stony or, or, or so distant I didn't want to touch. Now th- there's some kind of a warmth there. Where did that come from? It came from God who loved you and God who was loving you to stir up that stuff inside your heart, to stir up a longing for him and a desire for him that would eventually result in your faith becoming clearer. I put my trust in what Jesus did for me on the cross. He died for my sins. I receive his death for my sins, and I receive forgiveness, and I receive my home in the Father's house, and I'm adopted into the family of God, and I'm not a stranger, I'm not an alien, I'm, I'm an heir of all of the promises that God ever gave. Who started that? Did you start that? I'm just trying to say, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. God started that. When I wasn't loving him, he was loving me. When I didn't know him, he was knowing me. When I wasn't wanting him, he was wanting me. Folks, listen, if that drops 18 inches, it will transform literally your view of of God and who he is and whether or not you can hope in him and count on him and trust in him, it changes everything. Because the minute that our hope in God gets tied to our performance in his sight, it's, it's negated, it's cut short, it's not on a solid footing. But when my hope in the Lord, folks, when my hope is in the one who didn't just start loving me when I cleaned my act up, but my hope is in the one who has loved me before my mother was born, before my grandmother was born, before there was dirt in San Antonio, before there was a star in heaven. I was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the earth. Why was I chosen? Why were you chosen? You were chosen because he loves you and he wants you. And he's begun the process since we began to breathe air and walk on this earth. He's begun the process of drawing us unto his great heart. Do you know that he loves you? Do you know that you are desirable to him? Do you know that he cares about you? I say to you. you, can't dodge that. You can't skirt that can't go to enough church services, can't memorize enough Bible verses, can't do enough sacrificial service to compensate for the lack of knowing deep in your knower. I don't understand it. I don't deserve it. But my Father, God in heaven, loves me. Dignity rises in your heart. You understand that there's a significance about you there's a specialness about you there's a uniqueness about you no matter whether anybody gets it or not no matter whether they understand it about you or not you know it about you and it's all tied to the fact this one bigger name than any name on the earth The King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, the God of all creation knows my name and he loves me. And because he's loving me, I now love him back. I don't do what I do because I ought to. I do what I do now because I want to. Does that make sense? You know, you stay married because you ought to. Or you stay married because you want to. Which is easier. Stay in a job because I have to. Stay there because I want to. Love is of an infinitely greater Power to hold the hearts of men and women than is fear or obligation. And therefore, God has chosen to stake the whole future enterprise of the church with Him, the expansion of the kingdom of God on this earth with Him, stake it solely on the basis of men and women coming to know the love of God for their souls. 18 inches, 18 inches, 18 inches from your head to the explosion of warmth and life in your heart. I'm gonna show you this of the passage that we have looked at from time to time in the light of what we're talking about today. The book of Titus, small, little book, three chapters only. Titus chapter 3 and verse 4. But when the kindness of God our Savior And his love for mankind appeared. He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now I want to take apart a couple of these words from the original language. But when the kindness of God our Savior, the English translation is the word kindness. But it's a very unique Greek word. It's very expressive. It's very specific in what it's talking about. But when the kindness of God our Savior, the literal meaning is this. It is the grace that pervades the whole nature mellowing all that would have been harsh and austere kindness is the word our English word but it's a great big word that speaks of an entire trait of character in the heart of God not meanness not just justice kindness, the grace that pervades his whole nature, mellowing all that would have been harsh and austere, his his ability to judge, his rightness as he judges, the the discipline that he would mete out, all of those things that that in, in their singular form, harshness, and, and, and you feel the, the, the brunt of the discipline of the Lord and it can be painful. But what this is talking about is that is not all there is to God. If, if, if all you thought that he was was harshness, then think again. Here is this characteristic of who he is that is described as kindness and it is a characteristic of his heart that, that, gives, that has the sense of mellowing the impact of everything else. Not mean, not mad, not short, but kind, kind. Do you know him like that? Have you come to understand him like that? I got to tell you, sometimes growing up in church, growing up around religious people, growing up around even conservative evangelical people can teach you anything but the kindness of God. They teach Here's the standard, here's the formula, here are the fill in the blanks that you need to get. You missed, you missed the test, you flunked the test, you flunk out of being in a place of being in favor with God or knowing the love of God. It's been my own experience that I've come to know people who understood more of the kindness of God and they were professional hellraisers. They were professional partiers. They were professional drug addicts. They were professional hippies. (laughs) And then came to realize the life I was living was destroying me. But there is one who loved me even in that. He wasn't turned back by what I was doing, though what I was doing was offensive to him. I knew it, but I didn't care. Even when I didn't care, he didn't stop loving me. Even when I was taking his name in vain and doing all kinds of things that were just thumbing my nose at him, he never gave up on me. He came knocking on my door. He sent people to me. Somewhere over my heart has been changed. And I know the kindness of God because He was kind toward me. Somebody say something. but if you've never been in a place where you felt like you needed the kindness or the mercy of God, you've been so squeaky clean, you've memorized all the verses, you've done everything right, you've been every, you know, then it may be that knowing God in his kindness is just, you know, that's fine for all the, all the bad people. But I've never done that. I've never been there. And as a result, your relationship with God is tied to how clean you live, how correct you walk. Not with the sense that even when your self-righteousness was as filthy rags in his sight, but you didn't see it, he was still loving you. Loving us in the place of our worst but not giving up on us. Folks, I can't tell you how important that is. Without that, without that understanding, hope will fail us. Hope being tied to some God who if we please him, if we do everything that's right in his sight, then maybe he'll be kind to us. Or a reverse kind of legalism. We do this, and we do this, and we do this, that he's supposed to like. So now we've backed him into a corner, and God, you need to do this because I did this. What a joke that we could ever force an infinite God, even taking scripture. I, I, this is, It's unbelievable, this kind of teaching. Just... Use the word and bat God into a corner with his own word. High treason, high treason. He's the one who wrote the book. He can do what he chooses to do, and in his heart and in his mind, he will never contradict this book, but we're not going to be able to use tools that he gave us against him ever with merit, ever. You do that with a God that you don't think loves you. You do that with a God you can't trust. But when there is the sense that I don't know how and I don't know why and I don't know with all the time, all the chances I gave him to walk out of me and give up, give up on me, he didn't do it. He still loved me. If he loved me then, as hard as I was being on him, And now I'm trying to live my life more pleasing to him. If he loved me then, then yes, he loves me now. And I want to love him back. I want to love him back. What are we doing today that is a response to knowing that he loves me? Rather than what are we doing today to try to prove that we love him? Big difference between those two. He saved us, Titus 3, 5, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. He rescued us, not on the basis of right stuff that we were trying to do to make up for wrong stuff that we did. He saved us. He rescued us. He came to us Knowing all that we have done and all that we couldn't undo. And for, I'm, just, I'm praying that as you hear this, there's just going to be this great big collective sigh of, whew, whew, Lord, you love me. And there were no secrets with you. You love me then, you love me now, even though you know, Lord, I'm not as I present myself all the time, but you love me. I matter to you, I mean something to you, you love me. And so now what I want to do is in my heart to want to love you back, to want to love you back. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. He saved us according to his mercy. He rescued us according to his mercy. That means we needed mercy. That means we needed for someone to step into the fix that we would gotten ourselves in, whether we completely understood it or not. He saved us on the basis of his mercy. Not on the basis of me proving to him that I'm enough benefit to him that he ought to be nice to me. Or that I quote enough scripture and back him into a corner that he ought to do something to preserve me. He saved me, he saved you on the basis of his pity for us. His kindness toward us that we didn't deserve and we couldn't generate within him and make him give to us. He saved us on the basis of his mercy. Is mercy. Folks, go back and relive your darker years. Walk back through some of those places that typified the person you were before Jesus. Don't act like that never happened. It did happen. And it's there for a reason And the reason is for it to be a perpetual reminder of the love of God for my broken soul. Don't blow it off. Don't forget it. Don't go on as if it never happened. Relive it. Walk back through it from time to time. Paul would say, I'm the least of all the saints. I'm the chief among sinners because I persecuted the church of God. I didn't know Jesus. I did it in ignorance, but I still did it. Oh, and he loved me anyway. He knew the Damascus road would come. He knew he would intersect my journey. He knew he'd call me by name, but all that I did before was not so massive that it caused him to reject me. Folks, please, please, please connect the dots between that understanding of God and the reality of hope working in your heart. They're inseparably linked. I can hope in a God who loves me. I won't be hoping consistently. I won't have that kind of confidence in him unless I know that he cares about me. Show you one other place. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And we'll finish with this. Verse 35. Paul writes Who shall separate us, shall cut us off? from the love of Christ. It's as if in this section, Paul is saying that the most significant reality for the child of God, that which will assure in his heart, in her heart, That they will survive. That they'll not be destroyed. They'll not be discarded. They'll not be left. The most significant commodity in the life of a child of God is the felt love of God in their souls. Do you feel it? I'm not. Didn't ask you. Did you know it? Do you agree with it as a concept? Do you believe it's in the scripture? Do you feel his love? Do you feel the love of God? If you have distanced yourself so far from that life you used to live, where when you think back about it and how may amazing it would have been that he, he even noticed you, he saw you, he cared about you, he won you, You've so completely become another person, in a sense, that you've lost touch with how much of the mercy of God it took to rescue you, that I submit to you, you are living in a phony world. You're living in a world that will devoid you of hope, that will devoid you of a sense of the importance that you hold in God's heart. And so now we're so squeaky clean, all our friends are squeaky clean, all our Christian ease is understood by just those we hang around with, And, and so we don't really need to be thinking too much about the kindness of God, because basically we just deserve the kindness of God. We're, yeah, when in reality, we don't even get it that all our righteousness is a filthy rag. Self-righteousness is just as damning as unrighteousness in the sight of God. I distanced myself from the places and the seasons and the times when I needed the mercy of God, when I needed him to rescue me, not because I had anything to offer to him, but in spite of everything I'd done against him, still he loved me. You distance yourself from those places and you distance yourself from that organic relationship. He loves me not just at my best, he loved me in my worst. And he never quit, and he hadn't stopped, and he won't ever stop. I love him. I do what I do, not trying to back him in the corner. I do what I do because I want to. I'm loving him back. I'm loving him back. I'm loving him back. I'm loving him back. Has your service for the Lord gotten cold and stale and dry? As a Christian, doing what you do Has it become just routine and just something you push on through, just another box to check? Or has it remained something that you do because you enjoy doing it? And I'm gonna say to you folks, and I don't care who you are, what position you hold in this church or in any church where you may be listening, if the sense of doing what you're doing for the kingdom, you're doing it just because you have to, not because the love of God and wanting to love him back is the driving force behind it. You're doing it because you want to. Check out, put in for a retirement for a season. Raise your hand and say, I can't play, keep playing this game. We can't afford to keep pressing on without the love of God. The felt, measurable, discernible, empirical love of God working in our hearts that drives us to do what we do. You can keep going, but it will suck you dry and make you mean. And I don't particularly need an amen to that, it's the truth. Some of the meanest, most narrow-minded people on the face of the earth are people who are serving God because they think they have to or ought to, not because they want to. You lose sight of the frailty of my flesh. We lose sight of the things that I've done, and so we become judgmental. And, we've, and we've, we become very narrow in our, in our focus. We can't be around very many people because everybody in the whole world a jerk. We forget that we were king of jerks. When he loved us, rescued us. And the, Jesus would say, as the Father has sent me, even so what? You remember that? Send I Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? But in all these things, we are overwhelmingly conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us, shall be able to cut us off from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's not just talking about the entity, the the, the concept of distress or persecution or famine. I believe he's including in that our reactions that can come out, what can blow up out of us when suddenly we realize that we're under great pressure, or that we're in a time of great need, famine, or we're being hounded and persecuted. I believe he's saying not only those things that would come against us, but included in this is our response, our wrong responses, the things that that, that pressure squeezes out of us that's unChristlike. like. that our choices, our behaviors, our, our wrong expressions, even those do not have the power cut off the flow of the love of God from my heart. Folks, it's not you holding on to Jesus. It's Jesus holding on to you. You didn't find him in the first place. He found you. The idea of you being a part of the great company of the kingdom of God and the family of God and, 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 and having a, a new future and a new destiny and so forth, that, that did, you didn't come up with that. came from him. came from him. chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. picked out because you were wanted, because you were desired, because he something saw something in you of great value. Some folks will say, well, you just tell folks about the love of God, and they'll just take advantage of that. They'll just take, well, you know what that is? Let me tell you what that is. That's religion with lips talking. Because religion works best when it controls by fear. You have to do this, or this will happen. You better not do that, or this will happen. It's all about fear. The scripture says the Lord (laughs) hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but what? Love and power and a sound mind. The power of love, the power of knowing that you are loved has infinitely greater power. And someone holding up over you, if you don't do this, this is what will happen to you. The love of God casts out all fear. My brothers and my sisters, I know why I've hollered and slung sweat this morning. I I realize that. and, And if I could somehow just all of a sudden calm down and just be a really nice person, like maybe a really sweet grandmother right here talking to you or something, to just say to you, open your heart up all over again to how much He loves you. What you've done or haven't done does not have the power to change that fact. So when my heart is opened to the fact that He loves me and He causes me to know that in increasing degrees and further levels in my heart, then here's what happens. I want to love him back. I don't want to just take it all and run off somewhere and forget about it. He wins my heart. As he wins my heart, he in a wonderful way begins to own my heart. How'd you end up, how did you end up with that person you're sitting next to this morning who's got a ring that you swapped? I'm quite sure that there were other options if you'd waited long enough and da, 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 da. but you chose but you chose each other. Now why did you choose each other? Now you say, well, it was a shotgun wedding. We don't want to hear about that. We don't no talk <laughs> about that. But let's say it wasn't a shotgun wedding. Let's just say it was something that as time went on, it rose up in your heart. I don't know that I want to live another day without her in my life. I'm not sure if ladies say that or not, but I think it works in guys. My world is framed by the joy of being able to love her back. She said yes, and I'm so glad she did. But the great joy of my life is loving her back. If that's true in an earthly sense, folks, that's how he wants it to be this way. If your service has dried up, if your Sunday school teaching has dried up, if your quiet time has dried up, If you're going to church, it's dried up, and I know our staff always fusses me when I start talking like this, but I mean it down to my toenails. It's far more important that you get a fresh drenching of how much God loves you than it is that you stand up another Sunday and teach from the Bible. You can keep doing that from an exhausted heart from a dry heart and you're teaching dry stuff. You're giving away stale bread. It's better for the church, far better for you to just say, Lord, I I need you to find me again. Some way or another in the middle of all this church stuff, And all of my Christian friends and all of my praise singing and all of my scripture quoting, somewhere I've lost the sense of your love for me. Jesus, have mercy on me. He is more concerned about the temperature of our heart than what we're doing with our hands and saying with our mouths. Give him a chance to find you as a child of his, all over again. Lord, I I need you, I miss you. I don't know what's happened. I don't know how I could have lost you and the sense of your prayer and all of this stuff that's going on. I'm doing, I got church everywhere. But I'm really struggling with whether or not you love me. Just saying to you folks, and it's consistent through your Bible, knowing the love of God for you personally, Is the single most important gift, gift that God by His Spirit would ever desire to bequeath to His children. Now abide faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. So way back yonder, when you didn't know Him, when you were doing what you were doing, because that's just how you did life, He was loving you. You hadn't memorized the verse of Scripture. You hadn't even been in church. You hadn't been baptized yet. Loving you. Loving you. Loving you. Loving you. Still today. Still today. His love for you. Is vibrant. And real. And amazingly quickly. That which has been dry. That which has been just doing by rote. Because I ought to. He transformed into, I'm doing it because I want to. I going to love you back. We don't have the sense of loving him back until we first have the sense of being loved by him. That's how it works. We love because he first loved us.